0: Thank you for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. New details about reno's at First Ontario Centre. Learn about the Halton District School Board's professionalism policy. A new go-between for Hamilton police and the local LGBTQ community. Canada won't budge on its defense spending. COVID apparently made us meaner. And the benefits of volunteering. The GMH podcast begins now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Latest events to be booked at Hamilton's First... First Ontario Centre is raising questions about when exactly these extensive renovations at the downtown arena are going to actually begin. So as we heard a few weeks ago, First Ontario Centre is going to be used for the Grey Cup Festival in November, which is a great idea. It's a wonderful facility that can offer a lot for uh, the Grey Cup party that we're going to have later on this year. Earlier this week, however, we also learned that Cirque du Soleil has booked a show at First Ontario Centre in December, which obviously is going to push this renovation and construction project further down the road. So the question we are all asking ourselves is, when is this going to start? P.J. Mercanti is the president of Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. P.J., welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Good morning. All right. Question one. So, so when is construction going to start? So we're working through a process right now with
2: the city and with our partners, and we will be sharing more information, more details very soon, but we're anticipating that construction will start towards the tail end of this year. Uh, you know, obviously we made a decision uh, as a, as an executive and and with our partners at OBG to keep the arena open for Grey Cup. That was a, you know, there were many conversations that we had with the Tiger Cats organization uh, Matt Afanek and his uh, his great team there. And so, you know, we realized how important the arena uh, is to great proper Grey Cup Festival activation. Obviously, when we hosted in 2021, it was a truncated version of the Grey Cup Festival experience. And so we realized and knew uh, that it was a key part of that festival. And we, at you know, once we made that decision, Ah, uh, the team at OVG360, formerly Spectra, who manage the venue, received an inquiry, uh, an opportunity, a great opportunity to host a Cirque du Soleil uh, show uh, at the at the arena right before the holidays. And so, we made a decision to ensure that the arena for any last type of special events before the holidays, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was available for them. And Cirque is a great opportunity to bring, you know, people to the arena one last time and so the goal is right after that that the arena, you know, will shut down for the renovation.
0: So you're confirming that that Cirque show is going to be the last one at First Ontario Center.
2: Correct. So so we're working with OBG360, Andrew Nash is the is the great GM there and we're having discussions with him right now and with our team at OVG to talk about, you know, when is the, the, you know, the last date. And, and right now Cirque du Soleil is, is, is the last thing on the calendar. Uh, we're meeting with the city and working through a process uh, with, the, with them. We're, we're pleased with the process progress that we're making. Uh, and, and in the next uh, little while, we will be meeting with their permit and planning department to talk about the renovation and, and, and discuss, certain specific details related to that. Um, but we're, you know, hopeful to have more good news to share
0: with the public very soon. BJ Mercanti is the president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Can you confirm that you have a signed deal with the city and Oakview Group to move ahead on this project?
2: So so we do have a signed deal with the city. We, you know, we, we signed the master agreements and there were subsequent uh, lease documents that uh, that we had signed with them we are obviously knee-deep in with Oakview group and and we're hopeful to have a positive conclusion to their formal engagement in the project very soon you know they've made uh, public announcements related to Oakview Group Canada's division with the Hamilton arena project being the, the centerpiece of that and right now it's it's uh, you know fine-tuning legal documents and language, in those documents that are satisfactory to all parties. We've been at this for a long time, you know, we're, 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 you know, yards away from being able to, to formalize uh, items related to this and, and share a lot of great information with the public. You know, we, we recognize that, uh, you know, sharing and communicating is absolutely crucial and we're looking forward to uh, sharing a lot more good news uh, in the very near future and keeping everybody engaged. We've been having robust discussions uh, you know, with uh, a lot of uh, internal stakeholders uh, within the city, and uh, with OVG, and 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 with uh, other other folks related to the project, and so we're looking forward to sharing a lot more information. Launching a new website that will have information for the public to view very soon, and so that information will all be uh, coming. Uh, very very quickly
0: in a remaining 90 seconds if construction does indeed begin in December 2023 or or very early 2024 when will the project be finished
2: so th- the goal is it's a 16 to 20 month window so so obviously there's you know there's different elements related to that and so uh, projects like this uh, you know, the, the the standard range is 16 to 20 months of construction. And Oakview Group has just completed a very successful project in Baltimore, uh, which they were able to do within the 16-month time frame. It's a very similar style of renovation. Uh, and and the same architects that worked on that project, uh, BBB, SCI, are working with us on this project. And so we're hopeful and confident that uh, that we can hit the ground running Uh, Once construction does begin and move quickly and the good thing is is that our architects BBB have a lot of experience with the Hamilton arena and familiarity with it they completed a an arena renovation study back in 2016 a very substantial study that uh, is the foundation for a lot of what we plan on doing and so a lot of great groundwork has been laid already through that study and through. BBB's engagement with this project over many years, and so we're looking forward to hitting the ground running once construction begins.
0: PJ, thanks for the update. Looking forward to construction starting and and ultimately seeing this thing become a, a key piece of our downtown revitalization. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Rick. PJ Mckenty is the president of Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group, the the organization in charge of this and, and overseeing this renovation and revitalization projects.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: The Halton District School Board's latest draft of its professionalism policy is again making headlines, all the while a teacher remains on home assignment after showing up to school, as you recall, many months ago with extra large artificial breasts. And it has really created an uproar at Oakville Trafalgar School in Halton Region. Selena Close is a parent supporter with Students First Ontario and recently declared a candidate for the Open HDSB trustee position in Wards 1 and 2. And Selena joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Selena, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So from what I understand, there was a meeting last night to discuss this policy. What happened last night?
3: Uh, yes, yeah, so last night there was a discussion about the the survey which went out to all of Halton District School Board, which included over 8,000 stakeholders. Uh, so that summary of the survey was uh, discussed, as well as the policy, which is still in a draft form, which, which essentially has remain unchanged, and the end result of the meeting was that the uh, policy will actually be going back to the trustees for for review and discussion
0: so was there an issue with the current draft and, and changes need to be made
3: i mean that's that's always been the discussion of, of whether or not the the policy needs to be changed or now accompanying procedures again with the intention from uh, for myself, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself and the, the students and, and parents of Students First Ontario, the question has always been, do the policies and accompanying procedures exist to prevent this type of situation happening again? Um, again, my feeling is that something needs to to be to be addressed so that this doesn't happen again, but the board is definitely very much saying that the policies exist, so now it's a matter of why did this occur?
0: So what do you want to see in this new policy? What what has to be spelled out so we don't go through this again?
3: Again, I mean, I think we can all admit that, you know, 99.9% of the time, teachers are professionally dressed in this situation. I mean, good policy development, to me, addresses situations as they come up. And in this case, uh, I think that it needs to be addressed that that either a policy or a company procedure um Uh, prevents a teacher from going through the same type of disruption for the children, for education, for communities. So whether it's a policy, whether it's a procedure, uh, whether it's a governance issue, whether it's a decision-making review, I mean, something needs to be addressed to, again, make sure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Selena Close is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, parent supporter with Students First Ontario. As we know, there this has been a trying time for students and staff and teachers at Oakville Trafalgar. How are students coping?
3: Now students are, I would say, back to normal. I mean, the school is is functioning. We no longer have bomb threats. We don't have police uh, presence there. So it's back to normal for, for children. Unfortunately, we are seven months into the school year. And again, I think being pro- proactive and, and responsive to this issue, parents want to ensure that you know, next year something doesn't happen or or this doesn't occur again through another school within Halton District School Board. It's really raised a flag on the board and and their um, their way of addressing such an issue.
0: What is the timeline to have a conclusion and have a firm policy in place? <laughs> that is
3: very, very difficult to say. I mean, again, we're seven months in, we've had surveys, we've had Reviews of policy. We've had very little change of policy. There was a request last night to ask if there could be a draft procedural document, which according to the board is how actually this policy would be interpreted, which has more detail, which is not vague. And there was some resistance from the superintendent of HR to say that that could actually be drafted before the end of the school year. So whether or not this gets resolved at the at, within this year or it will roll into the fall, I think that's uh, to be determined.
0: It, it is a little tricky in in regards to. I mean, I'm not sure if this policy can outright say, "Listen, you cannot wear prosthetic uh, prosthetic be- breasts to school as a teacher." Does it have to be that specific?
3: Again, I mean, I, I'm just coming high level in terms of an issue that has occurred. I think the 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 staff, the senior staff, the director who's the leader, I mean, I guess I would say let's back up and say, are we trying to ensure that this doesn't happen again? I think that's something that now we all need to to address and say, do we have the proper either procedures, do we have the proper policy, do we have the proper empowerment of decision makers in the schools to, again make sure that this doesn't happen again? Or is there actually um, a willingness to admit that this was a mistake? I'm now questioning all of these things.
0: We're running out of time. So I need a yes or no on this one. Are you confident this policy will be in place by the start of the next school year? No. All right. Leave it there. Selena, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Selena Close, parent supporter, Students First Ontario, recently declaring uh, her candidacy for the open trustee position at the board in Ward 1 and 2.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A third-party facilitator has been named who is going to help connect the city's LGBTQ community and Hamilton police. Now, the creation of this role, you might remember, was among the long list of recommendations that emerged from an analysis of how police responded to violence at Hamilton's Pride Festival back in 2019.
4: You know, I'm a trans woman who's lived in the city for 11 years. I have a healthy distrust of police. I have not had exclusively positive interactions. I've been the victim of a hate incident in my city, and I chose to report it only in a very limited way because the trust didn't feel like it was there for me.
0: And that is the voice of this city's new third-party facilitator. Her name is Rebecca Benke, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rebecca, good morning. How are you? I'm lovely. Thank you. Good morning to you. (laughs) How are you feeling about this new role? Are you, I don't know, excited, nervous, anxious, raring to go? Where's your mind at?
4: I think all of those are emotions that are a part of this for me right now. I'm definitely raring to go. We ran our first focus group last night. I had a bunch of members of my community sit around in my living room and talk about policing. I will say that the conversation was heavy, but the work feels really real.
0: Was there a common denominator to the discussion last night?
4: Uh... I think that there's work to be done that there is repair but that's a that's a sentiment that brings with it some optimism I think the fact that a lot of people could sit around a room and start with I don't even know where to begin a conversation with policing and end with a list of ideas that are both potentially high in impact and possible to implement I think that's that's progress so work to be done but work that can be done that that's a that's a better
0: reframing is is this a trust factor or a distrust that 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 uh, the community has to bust through or, or police have to repair?
4: I, I think trust is a part of the conversation I, I think it's it's difficult to to do any kind of work if you don't have faith that there's buy-in or participation from the other parties I, I think when I was originally uh, bidding for this role or or putting together a proposal for it, I was worried that someone like me wouldn't be someone that the HPS would be interested in working with at all about this kind of thing. And I've been pleasantly surprised at every turn
0: at their willingness to uh, to make changes and, and to see this work go forward. Yeah. From what I understand, you were not 100% sold that you'd be the best person for this role. Why? Why is that?
4: Well, I came to this through my volunteering, but I thought I'd be a little bit more radically positioned than they were necessarily comfortable with. If the goal was to just rubber stamp a facilitator role here, run a couple of quick town halls and say everything was done, I'm not your person to do that. I suggested that the conversation has to start without police involvement at all, and that we have to be talking with members of the queer community just as members of the queer community first, before we even consider involving them in that conversation. And I I worried that wouldn't be particularly palatable, and it it turned out that that kind of
0: approach was... Something that they were looking for, because here I am. So what is the ultimate goal? At the end of the day, when you say, you know what, I'm done with this third-party facilitator job because my my mission has been complete, what does that look like?
4: Well, it's a, it's a relay race here we're running. I mean, I'm not stepping into this without carrying a lot of work that previous people have have put into it and that different parts of the organization have been pushing since the events of Pride 2019 and the outcomes of the Scott Bergman report that you, you mentioned earlier. But I hope that at the end of this process, there's a little bit more trust and that there's a little bit more opportunity to take up service because right now, if members of the community are afraid to interact with police or that they believe any interaction with police is a form of violence, then that's, that's not going to give us a police service that can, that can help our community. And while I think there's, an opportunity to explore if a reallocation of certain funding would better serve our society right now. And in this role, I can tell you that there is work of reform to be done within the organization, and there's work of awareness to be done for members of the community who don't understand reform steps that have already been taken.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Rebecca Banky, third-party facilitator between the LGBTQ community and Hamilton Police. Um... Is this a role that should be made permanent? Is it important enough to have this go between for a long time? Oh goodness i i I don't know that I would want to do that. I think this is
4: um this is a series of conversations, and they they have to happen. but community engagement requires a certain amount of legacy. so i I hope the conversation with community will continue. But I don't know that that needs to look like a a facilitator staying on to um to engage it constantly i think this this work can be pretty exhausting and i'm i'm very glad that i get to be in it and i'm very glad that i get to be in it for a temporary amount of time right now
0: you mentioned earlier that uh, you had your first um focus group last night how many more are planned and when do you incorporate police into that discussion
4: Yes. So I am intending to run focus groups for much of the rest of the summer. And any members of the queer community in Hamilton who would like to be involved in that, I'd encourage to reach out. Uh, I've set up a temporary email, which is just my name, Rebecca Banky, 2023 at gmail.com. Um, if you have particular needs for accommodation or there are ways in which you require a where I'm interested in protecting all of those things. Uh, I don't want to involve police in this conversation directly with other members of the community until we run the town hall in September where we will have members of command staff and the uh, community. But I, I do intend to continue to Have conversations. I've got meetings set up with command to talk about the shape that the conversations and the focus groups are taking. And I'll be collecting data out of those conversations, protecting the uh, privacy of the people who are involved and making sure that we've got uh, a bit of a way forward, an action plan that can... They can address some of the concerns that are coming out of these conversations because there are concerns and I think they can be addressed.
0: In our final minute here, um, that town hall in September, is that more or less a, hey, Hamilton police, this is what the local LGBT community is saying. Uh, Please hear us. Is that basically how it's going to work? I do think it's a good
4: opportunity for listening, and and I'd like to make sure that it is that. But it's intended to be the start of a bigger conversation or the continuation of a bigger conversation. I should clarify, this is not starting now. This is we're not starting over we're we're in the middle of a, a a thing and it's been it's been happening for some time as anyone in the city can tell you
0: well good luck in this role we'd we'd really like to touch base with you come september to give us either a preview of what you heard over the summer and what's going to come at the town hall or maybe after the town hall to get some reaction on how that went really appreciate your time this morning thank you so much and i'd love to do that that is Rebecca Benke, third-party facilitator between the LGBTQ community and Hamilton Police, a, a role that is clearly much needed in this community, and that conversation uh, has to continue to be had.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I have continued to say and will always say that Canada is a reliable partner to NATO, a reliable partner around the world, and uh, with our military investments, with the support we give to Canadians, we will uh, continue to be doing that.
0: Reliable? Uh, I don't know. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Amprin with you. Leaked Pentagon documents indicate that Canada isn't really that reliable when it comes to defense and NATO. Uh, they're, they're pointing to the Prime Minister secretly, privately telling NATO that Canada is never ever going to meet its military military defense spending targets. Two percent of GDP should be spent on defense and right now we're we're nowhere near that. So where do we go from here and how much how much damage is this doing on the global political scene? Erica Simpson is an associate professor of international relations at Western University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Erica, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. i I, I got to admit, I was not surprised to hear that Justin Trudeau actually said this in private. What yes. I, I, I'm not surprised by his stance on defense spending, I'm, and I don't think any other Canadians should be. Disappointed, yes. Surprised, no. Where do you sit on this? I don't think
5: anyone would be surprised because this debate has been going on since 2006 when the NATO allies agreed they'd aim toward 2%. And that's what they said they would aim toward, and and actually hardly any countries have reached that. The countries that are spending the most, of course, are the United States, which is at 3.87%, and then other countries like France and Poland and the United Kingdom. But most of the NATO allies will not be able to reach the the 2%, so it's not surprising. Trudeau is not surprising anyone in the United States or at NATO headquarters by saying that Canada will never reach that that very high goal. In fact, uh, President Trump criticized publicly uh, Trudeau and said that uh, Canada should raise its amount, and Trudeau replied, no, it's 1.4%, it's and that's what it's going to be, quietly. And uh, that's how he dealt with it then. So this is not really a surprise. It's a surprise about the leaked documents, though, um, that everyone gets to look at those. Nobody's seen these particular ones. They're reported in the Washington Post. No, nobody's actually seen them yet, so I'm looking forward to having a look at them.
0: We we should also clarify, this is not a Liberal government stance. This uh, underspending, if you will, has been going on for decades.
5: Exactly, since the 1970s, since 1969, actually. So really, uh, Canada's defence spending hovers around 1.1% to 1.4%. And the uh, current Liberal government is saying that there has been a massive increase, billions of dollars, because they will be buying $18 billion worth of F-35 fighter uh, aircraft. The question is is if that's the kind of spending we want to do to defend NATO, the alliance with F-35s, is that credible? Would we ever use them? And then the other issue is are we counting the spending that Canada spends on UN peacekeeping? No. Are we counting the spending that we spend on the Arctic, on sovereignty? No. So a lot of people are arguing that at NATO headquarters this kind of very – simplistic 2% uh, 2% gdp is just way too simplistic. In fact, Trudeau himself said that they need to reconsider how they do it. And if they did, if we looked at per capita spending, per person Canada actually is a very high spender. Uh, not as much as the United States, which is 2000 per capita, but the US spends more than any other country in the world including Russia and China. On, on the military, so we can't really compare ourselves to the United States. But per capita spending, Canada looks very good. So we kind of need to look at those stats and not always talk about the 2% thing, which has been around since really 1969, for heaven's
0: sakes. we got a couple minutes with uh, Erica Simpson, Associate Professor, International Relations at Western University. If Canada was located anywhere else in the world, we might be having a different discussion, but because we have the safety net of the biggest military spender by far, yeah. uh, that's why we don't spend as much as we do
5: well we have the safety net of three oceans the arctic ocean (laughs) the atlantic and the pacific so we're not in europe we're not right next to russia and that's why we are safer we are in a continent very far from the war in 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 ukraine and so that keeps keeps us safer but we are part we're the one of the founding 12 nations of nato and so we need to do our bit but we are doing our bit we're contributing to Latvia, we're contributing to Afghanistan. Canada was a huge contributor in Canada, hard to Afghanistan under NATO auspices. So we have to kind of look positive at this and not be so negative. The American, of course, the U.S. Uh, uh, chiefs of staff are going to be critical. That's their job. But our job as Canadians is to is to be proud of what we're doing and to spend on, on COVID and the pandemic and education and pharmacare and dental care and all the things that Trudeau is saying. I sound like a great Trudeau fan, but I, I don't <laughs> think he's, he's Wrong here to say that we need to. The government has many different uh, pressures, and as you know, uh, you know if you put your whole household income into defending it, into security, then there's some other threat that's going to come up, and you never know what that is. So, Absolutely. I think we need to be a little bit. Um, a little bit optimistic about our our new defense policy and the spending that we're doing, and and just keep in mind that we are good NATO allies.
0: I would suggest this, too, and we got to go, but uh, that uh, I don't think the appetite among Canadians would be, hey, let's spend more on defense and, you know, take some out of my pocket or spend less on health care or, you know, addressing the cost of living. That is where, you know, we have to, uh, you know, look at our budget and make sure that the money is being spent where it should. Erica, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Take care. Erica Simpson is with Western University.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Three years into this COVID-19 pandemic, are we, are we a meaner society? It's a question that the Ontario Medical Association is tackling head on as it tries to find the answer to that query. Dr. Rose Zacharias is the president of the Ontario Medical Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Zacharias, good morning. How are you?
6: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So have you uncovered that we are indeed meaner than we used to be?
6: What we know is that the COVID-19 pandemic certainly played a toll on our mental health, and, uh, and that's right throughout our society. We know that uh, people usually come to their family doctors when they're struggling, and um, we have seen an increase in that and also some frustration because of the lack of mental health supports in our communities, and and we know people are 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 struggling in many ways. There's been, um, I think, effects just of the isolation that we experienced, more online uh, and screen time, and uh, and there's been some really interesting studies done that I'm happy to go into. But we also know um, from the medical profession that uh, a good number of our healthcare professionals are experiencing burnout. And this is something really serious and to pay attention to, given that we want to be the healthiest society that we can be. But we have some solutions to implement around the supports uh, of our mental health that has taken a toll as a result of the pandemic.
0: So you've uncovered a lot of layers here, and uh, a lot of them do play a part in one another, including, uh, you know, isolation and screen time. Let's just take our children, for example, who had to be isolated out of school, at home, learning remotely through a screen, and then... After that schoolwork, they probably just stayed on the screen because either they had to do homework or they were just wanted to be entertained and want to be lost in their thoughts and what was happening on the screen. Uh, Are we at the point of no return with some of these individuals in terms of how they are feeling or how they have felt?
6: There was a particular study done that uh, a sociologist from the University of Western Ontario uh, shared with us. She looked at the harms of um that uh, that really really came to our our young people when they were required to uh spend more time we we pivoted you know when um we were required to shelter in place and and uh, education needed to be provided uh, virtually and so uh, as a result we know that children spent more time in front of their computers and and this study shows um, an increase in some harmful behavior among youth during the pandemic and some online harassment, uh, racism, uh, body shaming. All of this has really um, been difficult to kind of uncover but this is a study that uh, was conducted uh, by her and And it really points to how socializing is, is important and developing intentional, uh, intentionally developing empathetic skills, uh, needs to be part, I think, even of the curriculum. And so this is, this is really interesting. It's certainly worth paying attention to. And, uh, and this is what we know now.
0: One part of that study is when things didn't go according to plan, young people did not know where to go for help.
6: And this points to exactly what I was saying. First off, we know that we need a serious investment in our mental health and addictions uh, help in Ontario. We know, first of all, as I said, many people go, a good majority, 60% of people go to their family doctor when they're struggling and and we know there is just lack of coordinated <clears throat> mental health support we want family doctors to not only be uh equipped with uh with with administrative support that actually helps out a family doctor but the social workers psychotherapists and uh family and behavioral therapists to help families that are coming uh during the the challenging times of uh, of needing needing that support and we need it, just to be better and easier to navigate for anyone that wants to reach out. What, what's the helpline? What is the, the psychotherapist that you can connect with, a counselor, someone to help you understand what it is that you're experiencing and how to optimize your mental health? You know, mental health also impacts physical health, and we're seeing that as well.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900-CHML is Dr. Rose Zacharias, president of the Ontario Medical Association. They've uh, uncovered some, uh, well, factors in terms of how we have become a meaner society throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. One of those is burnouts. We know physicians have certainly <laughs> suffered that. Many others in other workspaces and workplaces have been burnt out because of long work hours or, you know, lack of interaction with coworkers. It really weighs on uh, the mental state of an individual. What are some of the solutions to get over the hump here, and and are those easily achievable?
6: So we know that 75% of doctors say they're operating at a level of burnout, and this is quite concerning. We uh, have asked doctors, what's the reason? The number one reason cited is the increased administrative burden. Now, I've been a physician over 20 years back in the day when we had pen and paper charts, but we have had technology as we would have wanted to ushered into the medical profession. And we have electronic medical records now, but don't communicate very well with one another there's also a lot of forms that physicians are required to fill out we know that on average every doctor spends an additional 10 12 hours per week just at their computer logging administratively really more clerical work than the type of work that doctors want to be doing we want doctors to be doctors Having that opportunity to interact with our patients face-to-face, building that trusted relationship, having the conversations, learning, understanding, and, uh, and diagnosing and recommending therapy. And, and so when, when, when doctors are otherwise taken away from the, 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 the patient's um, care, that is quite taxing. And, uh, and so we are looking at ways to integrate our computer systems, decrease the administrative tasks, and even bring teams around physicians to just help them with those other non-doctor jobs um, that, uh, that could be done and, and still serve the patients
0: well. Well, nice to see that we have a roadmap ahead, and hopefully that will uh, correct some of the uh, issues that are um, you know, facing uh, physicians and, and many others in, in other work uh, industries. Dr. Zacharias, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Rose Zacharias is the president of the Ontario Medical Association.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. National
0: Volunteer Week is underway. It started on April 16th. It wraps up this coming weekend. And, you know, it comes at a good time because there is a big need for more people to step up and donate their time to worthy causes and organizations. And we know, especially in this community, there are a ton of worthy organizations and causes. Dr. Megan Conway is the president and CEO of Volunteer Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Conway, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Hi, Rick. How would you describe the status of volunteering in Canada? Are we in a good place?
7: Well, I wouldn't say we're in our best place, Rick. I think um, historically back in 2018, we had data that said uh, approximately 79% of uh, Canadians volunteered in one way or the, another, either formally an organization or informally just by helping their neighbors or, or their colleagues or friends or loved ones. And so, um, you know, the pandemic I think was, was challenging and many of us stepped up and helped, um, you know, giving a meal or or getting groceries for people, um, and, and doing what we could during the pandemic. But at this moment, as we've come out of the pandemic, volunteering, um, has been on a decline and we've definitely not returned to volunteering in the same way. So, um, There was a a survey that was done back in November where organizations were surveyed by Statistics Canada, and 60% of organizations said that they have had difficulty recruiting or retaining volunteers. And what that's meant is that up to 30% of organizations have had to reduce or close programming, which is a really challenging um, data point for, I think, all of us. Uh, so those are things like Meals on Wheels programs that have had to close or um, even programs that um, involve youth mentoring, for instance, like Big Brothers, Big Sisters or Girl Guide programs that have had to um, either reduce their programming or have long wait
0: lists. Now, I think we can all understand why in the early stages of the pandemic, why volunteering declined, right? We were forced to be indoors, yeah. separate from each other. But why is why haven't we not seen that return to volunteering?
7: I think that's a great question, Rick. I think it's often a very individual question for folks. Um, You know, I definitely think that inflation has um, created a challenge for many people. Many people are having to work maybe two jobs or even the cost of gas to get to and from a volunteer opportunity might be high. Um, So I think there's a number of different reasons. You know, if you're a senior citizen, you want to make sure uh, or an older adult, you want to make sure that there's really strong health and safety protocols in place. And so people, I think, have just not necessarily um, returned in the same ways. And life is very busy. I think there's a complexity of life post-pandemic, and there isn't the same amount of time that folks have had necessarily to uh, to really to prioritize volunteering.
0: Is it realistic to think we will get to where we were in terms of the the percentage or the number of volunteers we once had?
7: You know, Rick, I think there's lots of really great things that organizations are doing to pivot and to think creatively. So um, we're seeing what's called micro-volunteering, where um, individuals are saying, you know, I'm only able to volunteer 30 minutes or um, for a couple of small time slots throughout the week. And organizations are, that are really creative are saying, sure, that's going to work for us. It's not going to work for all organizations, but it definitely works for some. Also, the notion of even group volunteering, so where a group of people sign up and say, you know, I can't do every shift, but I can do it in a group. And if I'm, you know, unwell one day or if I have another commitment, um, someone else is there to take my place. So I think there are some really creative strategies organizations are thinking about. I also think that at our heart, um, we really want to give back and we want to make sure that um, everyone in our communities are doing well. And so I think um, at this moment in time, there's a real opportunity for us to think creatively around what it looks like to be giving back of our time and our talent and our energy through volunteering. So I'm really hopeful, Rick, that um, we're going to come together uh, collectively to figure this out.
0: That is encouraging. We're talking about National Volunteer Week on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with Dr. Megan Conway, President and CEO of Volunteer Canada. This year's theme is Volunteering Weaves Us Together. What does that mean? What does that signify?
7: Well, you know, I think it it recognizes that individual actions um, that volunteers take and make within their communities really create a strong... A stronger community they weave us together to one another and they um reconnect us to our communities and and to who we are as canadians uh we we know we've been separated isolated maybe disconnected in the last few years um this year's theme is really about reconnection and um and really strengthening the fabric of our communities rick so we're excited to see all the celebrations that are happening across the country from coast to coast to coast thanking volunteers and really celebrating the contributions that volunteers make.
0: I understand there's also an increased effort to working on inclusiveness with volunteering. Talk to us about that.
7: Well, we know that uh, diverse ethnocultural communities give back in different ways, and we want to recognize that that doesn't always um, maybe look the same way that we've historically maybe considered what volunteering is. So we, we are very mindful of the fact that in even many different cultures, there isn't a word for volunteering but it doesn't mean that different ethnocultural communities aren't giving back. It just might be called something different, and it might look differently within that cultural context. So we want to celebrate and acknowledge and really lift up all forms of volunteering uh, during this National Volunteer Week, Rick.
0: Get more information online at volunteerstrategy.ca. Dr. Conway, thank you for your time. Good luck in uh, enticing and encouraging more people to uh, give of their time.
7: Thanks so much Rick for your time this morning.
0: As Dr. Megan Conway, president and CEO of Volunteer Canada, you know volunteering and I've done it myself to a certain degree is it, it it's a win-win situation. Obviously you're helping out the organization that you're volunteering with or or the charity or the cause or or the event whatever it is and you you get that good feeling. I mean it is great to give back especially in your community knowing that your efforts, your time Uh, is uh, well worth what is going to be beneficial for that
1: organization. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and And make sure you rate and review.